for those of you who have been to college um, or been to university or are on your way to being a to going to the university and um, or plan to one day, uh, you may probably remember that every major course begins with a basic of class with a foundational class of a particular subject and typically it usually was like math 101 philosophy 101 um, what's that? atmospheric science 101 uh, you know but uh, um, you know those were that was the basic foundational classes the basic course well I've decided I titled this morning's message communion 101 because Paul here we'll dedicate the second half of chapter 11 to teach and explain the basic fundamentals of communion. In particular, how Christians ought to conduct themselves in church during communion and the importance of self-examination prior to partaking in communion. Now, having this basic understanding, I believe and I hope will give you the, will be spiritual beneficial to you in these two ways it will help you to be more it will help us as a church to be more unified as we celebrate communion together and for all of you it will I hope that it will help you to draw near to the Lord as you consume the elements so let's open up with a word of prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us as we go through his word here Lord Heavenly Father um, we thank you for another Sunday be able to open up your word and hear from you. May the words from this book that we're holding in front of us or from the screens that are in front of us, will they come, may they come to life, Lord. And may they just go straight into our hearts. They convict us where we need to be convicted May we grow in those areas that we're still so immature in, Lord, and teach us this morning. Show us through the words here that Paul wrote that you inspired him to write that, that again, there's a purpose and a perfect reason, a perfect purpose for communion. Fill us with your love, your spirit here, Lord. Fill us um, with your power and your strength. Let's hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we finished verse 16 last week, so we're picking up in verse 17 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and, I, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for at the meal each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and we had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the, cu took the cup after the supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Unlike he did in verse 1, Paul begins here with a critical tone about something appalling, something horrific that he's been told that occurs whenever the Corinthians meet as a church. However, before he gets into it, before he tells them what it is, he explains a main factor that is causing the problem. The same divisions that he had written about in chapter 1 were causing people to eat with their own cliques. They were eating with their own leaders because as we, if we remember back in chapter 1 that was the issue. There was different leaders and different factions and different cliques. So they were coming together in, in, in these communion services and just eating with their own clique instead of fellowshipping together as a unified church. The difference, though, is that in chapter 1, Paul's approach was more theological. Here, their approach is more practical, dealing with the problem of division as it shows itself in the Corinthian, in the Corinthian Christians during their gatherings. Now, although Paul disapproved of this behavior, if you notice, he, he does note something positive that resulted from it. And he says, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Ultimately, he knew that these divisions would reveal who the true believers are from those who've created and are participating in, this, in these divisive behaviors. These Christians, these true Christians would be, I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to be part of this clique or that clique or, or cause, you know, or be the cause of rumors or, or actually spread rumors. Um, no, uh, you know, we're just going to worship and fellowship as believers. We're going to do communion as a unified church. So they, they stood out. That's what he was saying, that they were approved and recognized. Now, as soon as he explains the cause of the problem, Paul is now able to state the issue. Now in Acts 2.42 and in uh, verse 46, it tells us that since the beginning of church, it was customary for believers to eat together. It was an opportunity for fellowship and for sharing with those who were less privileged. And typically they'd end this meal by observing the Lord's Supper. They'd call this meal the agape feast. Or if you remember, I explained in one of the teachings that agape means love. So it was a love feast. Since its main emphasis was showing, it was called this because the main emphasis was showing love for the saints by sharing with one another. This agape feast was a regular part of the worship in Corinth. But over time, serious abuses had crept in. And as a result, the love feasts were doing more harm than they were good to the church. So in addition to the rivalries that existed among the church leaders, another problem causing this, these divisions was also the gulf between the rich and the poor. The rich people were the ones who would bring all the food. They were the ones who would bring all the drinks, all the food, all the, they would supply everything for the church. And when they would bring it, they would treat themselves to it while the poor members went hungry. They would gorge themselves, they would, they didn't even have time to, or those who showed up late, there wasn't even enough for them to eat. And again, so the poor, and the poor ones also, just, they got the scraps or they wouldn't have anything to eat. Because of this lack of consideration by the, by the wealthy, it basically implied that they weren't celebrating the Lord's Supper but merely they were celebrating their own supper. The, the same supper they celebrate at home, they were now celebrating it at church. Instead of sharing in a kind of potluck and ensuring that all get plenty to eat and drink, they were behaving selfishly by purposely ignoring the needs of the poor and ignoring the needs of those that, for some reason or another, showed up to these feasts late. You see, a lot of, the, a lot of times, these weekly agape feasts 
were the only decent meal some of the poorer members regularly had. We're also told in verse 21 that not only were rich members gorging themselves with food, but were also getting drunk. They were also getting drunk at the expense of those who had less and those that were showing up late. Oh, that's, that person isn't coming today or is going to show up late. Oh, let, me, let me take their portion of their, of their wine or their drink. And so again, they were just overindulging. They were getting drunk. They were doing these communion services. They were abusing the communion service. We're also told, oh, so this behavior, what it, what it basically did is that it caused also the poor members to then treat the rich ones with contempt. With contempt. Wouldn't you feel that way? I mean, wouldn't, if, if all these rich people were, and you were just barely starving and hungry and you were, saw the, all them eating all the food and, and there was nothing for you, how would you see them? How would you feel towards them? I think many of us would probably put, you know, do something, put sna snakes in their pillows or something, you know, I mean, um, you know, we, we would treat them with contempt. We would probably not wanna, want them to be blessed at all. This lack of respect and consideration for one another is what horrified and grieved Paul the most about their services and was probably uh, what prompted him to write verse 22. Paul was essentially telling them, if you want to act that way, just do it at home. Don't even come here. Just eat your feast, get drunk, do all that stuff at home. Don't come to these services. Don't come to communion with that kind of attitude. It's better for you just to go home and do it. The agape, fish, the, the agape feast should have been an opportunity for edification, but they were using it for a time for embarrassment. You uh, were using it as a time of embarrassment. Paul then explains the origin and purpose of communion in verses 23 and 26. Now he is able to do this because it came from, it came from the Lord either directly through a special revelation or through one of the apostles. But essentially, this was directly from the Lord. He then recalls the events that took place prior to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. So now he's telling, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to the words of Jesus when he was in that upper room with his disciples enjoying this Passover meal. Let's go back and examine that and see what was going on in that room, in that situation. And let's line it up to what's going on here in, in, in your church services, in your communion services. Now again, he specifically reflects on the words he spoke during the Last Supper regarding the significance of the bread and the cup of wine. Paul begins by reminding his readers in verse 24 what Jesus said after he had taken the, the unleavened bread and broke it. He said, this, Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. For you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now again, this is where some of the theological controversies come in because the Catholic Church teaches one thing, the Christian, there's a few different churches that, that um, teach what that bread actually represents. Is it, does it turn into the, body and, um, into the body of Christ? Does that wine actually become the, the, the blood of Christ? Others um, will say that it, it doesn't, but that it surrounds it. It's, you know, it's over and in and under. It's part of it. But I think that if you carefully examine what exactly was going on here, the context in which Jesus spoke these words, you will see that um, you will see that it, he, the way he meant it, was more of a representation than an actually than it actually transforming. It was it wasn't 
um, when he was holding up his bread and his wine, it wasn't being transformed into his actual flesh and blood. And again, uh, it's difficult to really get into this subject, this deep theological subject, because it, I mean, there's books, and, and I understand it, I get it, but it would take a whole nother lesson, a whole nother um, hour or two just to explain what these different theological views are. But essentially, again, what I, my point is that despite what the Catholic Church has taught, no one sitting with Christ at the table would have thought he was saying that the bread was somehow a literal extension of his flesh or his spirit. Rather, the bread symbolized or represented his coming bodily death, an atoning sacrifice for the sake of all who would accept the forgiveness of sins it made available. Each time the Corinthians ate the bread of the Lord's Supper, they should have recalled his death and acted in ways that were consistent with Christ's, Christ's immeasurable self-giving and grace on their behalf. Paul then shares with him the words Jesus spoke when he took the cup of wine and, and that was consumed during the same Passover meal. The cup Jesus referred to is known as the cup of redemption. And Jesus added to the idea of redemption from slavery in Egypt the idea that his blood confirmed a new covenant that changed our relationship with God. The reason Paul, like the other gospel writers, calls it a cup rather than using the word wine is because the expression would evoke Old Testament associations of suffering, of suffering the cup of God's wrath. This would have reminded the Corinthians that a drinking party, party is hardly the best way to prepare for the Lord's Supper. And scorning others is certainly not the way to remember the Savior who died for all sinners, rich and poor. By adding the phrase, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, Paul is emphasizing again a couple of other things. That communion is a solemn declaration of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And secondly, that this ceremony should be practiced and proclaimed throughout church history until He comes again. This is also a reminder that although believers must engage in communion regularly, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29, that he wouldn't until he joins all believers in heaven. He's waiting for us. He's up there waiting for us and, and would not, said he would not partake again until we're with him. So he's eagerly waiting also. He's waiting for you to be able to enjoy that wine. I mean, I know that's, I, know, I look forward to that, being like, cheers, Jesus. When it comes to celebrating communion together as a church, I believe these are the lessons Paul wants us to learn from these verses. When we take in communion, uh, when we partake in communion together, we ought to have a heart of unity. All of us here should come to the Lord's table with a sincere love for one another. Again, there's an issue if you're coming to the Lord's table and you have a problem with somebody at the uh, here at the church. Let me ask you, have you ever tried sitting in a family meal when there's no one getting along? When it's just too much tension, when everyone's fighting, or maybe one person has an issue? I know I have, and you know, I, one of the things I enjoy most about my family is is being able to have dinner with all of them. We all have different schedules. Sometimes we're busy and we're not able to where I'm sleeping in the evening. And, but during those times that we come together as a family, I, it really means a lot to me because I'm able to find out from my boys what's going on with them, um, school, uh, you know, issues, personal issues. Um, my wife is able to talk about, we're able to talk about work. 
Um, you know, it's just a great time. My little daughter just you know, talking about wonderful little things that she just, she, she loves to do. Um, but we've, I think that we've made an effort to just leave all the issues and problems outside or away from the dinner table. If you have an issue or problem with a brother and sister in this church, just make an effort. Make an effort to resolve it prior to coming to the communion table. Lord, Lord knows your heart. He knows when you're angry, when you're upset, when you're bothered, when there's just... And, and, and it, it takes that joy away from you, the joy He wants you out to have when you're sitting at the Lord's table. See, doing so, resolving these issues, will allow you to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Supper with peace of mind and a joyful heart. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, he says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, in addition to unity, another lesson Paul wants us to learn is proper conduct. When we partake in communion together, we must remember whose table it is. If you were to invite me over to your home, I will make every effort to conduct myself respectfully and honorably. What would you think, or what would go through your mind if I showed up at your house with a friend of mine, a buddy, a 12-pack of beer, a personal size uh, bucket of KFC. I just went straight to your couch, turned on the TV, and had my own personal party at your, you know, in your living room while completely ignoring you. I mean, what would, you, what would your reaction be? My guess is that you probably wouldn't invite me back and you would call the police or you would like, get out of my house. You know, it, you see, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because I know better than to act disrespectful at another person's home, at another person's dinner table. I know my manners. I know, you know, even if, even if I don't like the food that you're serving, I'm going to make every effort to show you that this is the best meal, you know, that I've ever had. I mean, it's essentially, I, I'm, I'm going to fellowship with you. My attention is going to be on you. you know, I'm going to enjoy the experience. I'm not going to make it my own personal party. Well, it ought to be no different when you come to the Lord's table. Although it is a celebration, we should conduct ourselves respectfully and honorably. Now, if you're unsure how to begin doing that, let me just give you two ways you can start. Number one, know who Jesus Christ is and why he deserves honor and respect. You see, the more you personally know him, the more you are in fellowship with the Lord, the more you understand what he did for you, and what he's doing for you and, and the promises he's made and, and the glory that you're going to have with him in heaven, you, you're going to want to honor him more. You're going to want to respect what he's done for you. They, they, you know, again, you're going to put yourself there in that room, in that upper room and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. This is awesome. Again, you're just going to want to honor Him. Number two, make an effort to understand the biblical meaning and purpose of communion. You see, a lot of times we are used to being taught by man or by uh, church dogma or, or, or doctrine um, what communion is and what it means. 
I mean, that's what I was taught as a small boy going to First Communion classes. But as soon as I read and discovered the Bible, as soon as it, it became clear to me, it, 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 it was obvious what God wanted for us to understand about communion, what it meant. So in other words, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you don't, ask questions, get books, you know, um, study the Word of God, study what it says about communion. And if it's still unclear, you know, I come to, I mean, there's a bunch of things you, I, I can suggest. It was, as I said, it was something that it, I, it, I had to wrestle with as a young man. But the Lord made it clear to me as I studied and as I asked my questions and people were, I'm grateful that people were open and honest with me and, and just were able to explain it to me clearly. Again, question, know what you're doing and why you're doing it. That's what I always told my boys when it comes to passages, scriptures, when it comes to the truth. If you doubt it, question it, ask. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. I think we, we can grow as Christians. We can develop uh, our faith, our, our view of God, if we just ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so the two lessons we've looked at so far were unity and proper conduct. I want to quickly share one more that I believe Paul wants us to learn from this passage. Approaching the Lord's Supper with a right attitude gives us an opportunity for, again, spiritual growth and blessings. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you truly have a desire to spiritually grow and be blessed, come to the communion table with a hunger for knowledge and a thirst for the Holy Spirit. Trust that the Lord will give you exactly what you need according to His will and purpose for your life. If it's just too much for you and He doesn't reveal it right now to you, He will reveal it to you eventually, right when you need to know it. When it's, again, when it's necessary for you to know it. He has a perfect timing for everything. I've come to understand that and know that about the Lord. If you're not growing, and or being blessed each time you come to the communion table, the issue isn't with God. Because the truth is that He does. He wants you to grow. And He does. He wants to bless you. The issue might actually be something going on in your own heart that's hindering the work the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. And this is where self-examination is important. And the next topic, which Paul covers in, in, our, in this last portion of our passage. So if you have, your, again, your Bibles open, let's read this last portion here, starting in verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many, and many have fallen asleep. If we, were properly judging, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, and I would also add my sisters. Oh, he does say my sisters. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. In these verses, Paul explains that because communion is such a profound ordinance. Now, and this also, as a side note, there are two main ordinances 
that the church, the generally most all churches follow or adhere to. Those two ordinances are communion and baptism. I mean, yeah, you know, other churches will say there's, we, we do this and we do this, but every Christian church ought to have those two ordinances, baptism and communion. Now, um, again, this particular ordinance is so profound that believers must be careful how to approach it individually and corporately as a church. Paul first informs individual believers communion, how communion shouldn't and should be taken. He starts off by saying that communion shouldn't be taken in an unworthy manner. The word unworthy here doesn't refer to a person's character, but instead, highlight, but instead highlights the nature of their actions. Thus, his warning was not to those who were leading unworthy lives and long for forgiveness, but those who were making a mockery of which should have been the most sacred and solemn, which should have been most sacred and solemn by their behavior at the meal. In other words, instead of eating and drinking uh, without consideration of others, the Corinthians ought to share with each other and partake in moderation. It's important then that when we as believers or when a believer consumes the communion elements, they examine themselves. Meaning that a person must examine himself with respect to Christ's sacrifice for believers and the relationship each believer has in the corporate body, within the corporate body. Those who eat and drink in flagrant disregard of the physical needs of others in their fellowship risk incurring punishment from God. Now, although the overindulgence in food and drink may not be a problem in our church communion services, it's still nevertheless important that we carefully examine ourselves prior to consuming the bread and taking the cup. We must examine our relationships with our Christian brothers and sisters, especially among those that are part of this church. I covered the importance of this already, but let me just share another passage that highlights why unity is necessary at the Lord's table before he was arrested. While Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and suffering, you know, knowing what he was about to endure, he spent time in prayer. And do you know that he prayed for you? He, spent, he was there praying for you specifically, praying for us. Well, he was there and he prayed about the unity he wants us to have with one another. He says, and, he, and he, this is what he prays, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me as I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved me as, or, and have loved them as you have loved me. And you must also examine where you are in your relationship with the Lord. One of the main reasons I've decided that there be, that we take a few minutes, if you joined us for communion services before, you will notice that I've decided to do that we, while you're holding the cup and, and, and the, the bread that you will spend a few moments of silence. And I've decided to do that um, to give you an opportunity to examine your relationship with the Lord. I do this so that, those, so that those who feel as though they've wandered from Him can return back to His comforting arms and also to give you the time to confess and repent of any sin that's getting in the way of your relationship with Him.
and another reason is to give you the opportunity to remember everything Jesus Christ has done for you. Everything that he's accomplished in you and through you. All those wonderful things that he's done. To remember those things. And to thank him again for enduring, enduring everything that he's, that he's suffered he was getting tortured for you, as he was getting nailed on the cross for you, as he all that, all that suffering he did it for you to save you so that you will be with him in all eternity, so you wouldn't have to suffer those things the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to, to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Which then leads Paul to tell them why communion must be taken in a worthy manner. And whereas verse 25 refers to the local church, verse 30 refers how God punished some of the Corinthians for profaning his holy table. Apparently some of them experienced severe illnesses and some even died as a result of God's corrective discipline. So he tells them in verse 31 that the way to avoid such tragedy is to monitor one's own behavior. Check yourself. He tells them, don't let this happen to you. Check yourself. Examine yourself. However, Paul reminds us also, Paul reminds his readers also in verse 31 that even those who have died for their actions are not damned. They're not damned. Rather, God disciplines those He loves to protect them from further, further damaging themselves or others. Now, although many believe that God's punishment here was a one-time occurrence to show us how seriously God takes communion, I'm convinced that, it's, that God can still do whatever He wants whenever he wants, to anyone he wants. If he's, if, I mean, that's how great and mighty God is. He can, you know, he has that right. We're his creation, we're his pot. You know, we're, he's our creator. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if at this very moment people are sick or have died for the very same reasons the Corinthians, or some of the Corinthians died or suffered. They're just, you know, they're not respecting, they're not, they're not, they're taking communion in an unworthy, in an abusive manner. Now, I don't know about you, but knowing this keeps me from playing with fire, and it prevents me from testing his sovereignty over his creation. I, I don't want to, I want to treat the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table with nothing but honor and respect. Should you ought to have the same attitude. Therefore, again, I must we all must I must seriously examine myself to make sure I'm not coming to the table and consuming the elements in an unworthy manner. So don't test the Lord and just come to his table and just come to his table with a genuine heart of love. This chapter then ends with Paul restating and summarizing his solution to the problem. Paul directs the Corinthians to welcome one another when they are assembled to partake in the Lord's Supper. He also tells them that if anyone is coming to these communion services, with, then what should they do? Just eat at home. Eat in the privacy of your own home. You're hungry? You know, you want to come and engorge yourself and... and no, just do it at home. Just eat at home and then come and just enjoy the fellowship. This way, the main point of the public Christian meal is to share with one, one another rather than to satisfy one's own needs. This is the core of Paul's instructions. However, he knows that the issue is a lot bigger than this. And this is why he tells them, he informs them that, when, that, that he'll have to leave it for now until he personally arrives at Corinth. So what I've decided to do 
is to spend the rest of this time by practically applying what we've just read and learned by actually partaking in communion together. Now, I made it a custom, we started, made it a custom to celebrate communion every other month in the beginning, the first Sunday of every other month. Um, and this is again so that um, we recognize and we are looking forward to it. So it is a special occasion. Now that's the case right now. You know, I know some churches, they, you know, they celebrate every month, some every week. Again, there's nothing wrong. The Bible, it is, does say here, drink it as often as possible. Actually, I, I even had communion yesterday when we closed, during, when we closed our uh, conference yesterday. There's nothing wrong with taking communion as often as possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's how we practice it. But for now, for today, I want us to just really practice what we just learned, what we just read. Now, in a moment, I'm going to pass out these elements. And when you receive them, we will have a moment of quietness. And during this time, I want you to answer these questions. Now, I have these questions here so that um, you can consider them as we're passing. But this is what I, these are the questions I want you to ask yourself. As you're in that moment of quietness while you're holding the cup and the bread. And here are the questions. Do you currently have a heart of unity or divisiveness? Are you aware or recognize the meaning and significance of the bread and the cup that you're holding? Are you coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy and, uh, and are you coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy and selfish manner? I know it says unselfish there, but that was a typo. Have you made a thorough and honest examination of yourself to see if anything is hindering your relationship with the Lord? Is the Lord's Supper just as meaningful to you as it was for Jesus when he sat with his disciples in that upper room? Are you taking it seriously? Are you, is it meaningful to you? Do you care what you're, you know, what's going on there? And I'm going to leave these up uh, during that time, but I mean, these are serious questions to consider. I mean, a lot of times we, we partake in communion and, and I, I do, I know sometimes I've gone through communion and I've just gone through the motions. You know, I've, I've see, I know the seriousness, but you know, I need these reminders of what communion means. Now, if you're having a difficult time answering these questions, spend some of that quiet time in confession with the Lord. Allow Him to minister to you, to forgive you, to heal you, to strengthen you. Don't leave here today carrying the same baggage, carrying the same sin, carrying the same burdens, that, all that messy junk that's in there in your heart. Don't leave here still carrying it. Let it go. Give it to the Lord. It says in Psalm 34, 22, The Lord redeems the life of His servants, and all who take refuge in Him will not be punished. And in 1 John 1, 9, we're told, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive, our, forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, when it's time for us to partake in, uh, together in... in um, in communion, let's celebrate it joyfully with a clear conscience and a clean heart. Now, prior again to, to taking communion, I also want to take a quick moment to invite anybody that's watching, listening, who isn't part of God's family to come to the table. This is an open invitation. The Lord you know, doesn't, you know, Although this is a family meal, He invites the world, anybody, to come and be part of His family. What's so great about this, about our Lord, is that, you know, oh, you want to be part of this? Come, come and join us. Come and sit down at the table and let's celebrate communion together. Jesus Christ established the ordinance of communion for those who have believed and, and trusted in Him.
in a sense, yes, it's a family celebration. They got a reserve, but, uh, and God has reserved a seat for anyone who wants to be part of this family. He desires from you that, all he, all he desires from you is that you come with an open heart by believing and trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. And again, this is a choice that you have to make. He will never force you and say, hey, you, I'm forcing you to be my son. Come sit at this table right here, right now. And so you better sit there and be quiet and respect and honor. No, he's not, he's not going to, he, he's going to say, you're invited. Come in, you know, be part of this family. Just open your heart. Open your heart to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trust and believe. I sent my son to die on the cross for your sins. Come and enjoy and partake and be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with, with love. Those of you considering this, this is a choice you have to make. God will never force you to be part of His family if you don't want to be. Now, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have decided that you do, you want to make that decision today, right now. I want to lead you in a prayer right now to do so. So wherever you're at, close your eyes and bow your heads and just pray this prayer with, again, with, with the full heart, with all your heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've fallen short. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he is Lord. I believe he is God and I, I accept him now. I open my heart to him and accept him as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. And thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Help me to walk according to your ways from here on forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, you're more than welcome to come at the table. Come to, you can go now to any communion service. So you don't have to do what I did and go through communion class. You can now come and enjoy the Lord's table. And just enjoy, you know, sit and enjoy it um, with a joyful heart. Again, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it. And when he had given thanks, I'm sorry, when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Again, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you so much, Lord, for communion. You remind us every single time that we celebrate, we partake in communion together, what you did for us, what these elements, what the bread represents, what the wine represents that we're always mindful and, and so the church will never forget what you suffered, what you endured because of your love for us, because you loved us so much. Or you didn't have to do that. We could have just lived and died and suffered the punishment for our sins, for our misbehavior, for just... Uh, 
violating your laws, just being disobedient. But no, Lord, you sent your son Jesus Christ to die for us, to forgive us of our sins. And words sometimes just can't express how thankful for we are we are because of that that now for those of us that receive that forgiveness we will live for you with you for all of eternity Lord may we continue to come to the communion table with honor and respect may we treat others with respect as well Lord put others' needs before our own needs. Help us to recognize when we are coming to the table in an unworthy manner. Thank you for your word. Lord, bless this next time that we have together. We enjoy the fellowship, enjoy the food, just enjoy the conversations. May they be edifying. May we just share, again, in each other's joys and burdens and, and be, again, just united, Lord. That's what we want. We just want to bring you joy of being united as a church. As small as we are, just want to have a heart of unity. Bless this week. Bless everyone here, Lord. Keep everyone safe protect them and if if it's time Lord for you to take us home then may we may you receive us with open arms may we hold on to you full of joy come soon Lord we're looking forward to it pray this in Jesus name Amen